Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Happy Monday, everybody. We are now just 10 days out from opening day. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today, July 13th. Frank Stample alongside Scott White and Chris Towers. How was the weekend, fellas? It was solid. It was fun. Same as always, Frank. <laughs> Answer's going to be the same every weekend. I'm just waiting for one of these days where you guys are just going to tell me something crazy happened. Scott, you went to a virtual wedding. That's kind of crazy. Not really. Yeah. yeah, it was it was crazy. It was kind of awkward. You know, it's I, I've done a, quite a few of these Zoom chats with people I know, such as you guys, but also people, you know, in my personal life. And they've been fine. Uh, but this, you know, at least three quarters of them are complete strangers. And you could tell a lot of them had never used Zoom before in their life. So, you know, there was a lot of there. There was a learning curve there. Um, yeah, it was. It was interesting. I'm glad, uh, you know, I'm glad they still found a way to have their wedding during this, but probably not the way they imagined it. Chris, no virtual weddings this weekend, huh? No virtual weddings. Biggest, I, I guess if I had any big news this weekend, it's just the puppy seems to have had a breakthrough. He's been so well behaved <laughs> over the last like two days, the three uh, days really at this point, ever since Saturday, something, something seemed to click on Saturday and he's been such a good boy and I'm very proud of him. I do enjoy when we get the Towers household pet updates. That seems to be, we haven't seen David Bowie in a while. Uh, no, she, she hasn't been coming into the office with me lately. Um, she's been liking to stay under the bed. So Is yeah, that's fine. That's her choice. Yeah. She doesn't, the dog and the cats, they're still not. Yeah. All right. Still not on speaking terms yet. Well, <laughs> one day. One day we'll get there. Guys, today on the show, we have a lot of news to go over. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There was so much that happened this weekend. We'll jump right into that. We had a 12-team Roto auction on Friday, so we're going to recap that, and then we will answer some of your questions. Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. Some of these news and notes from the weekend. Um, yeah, let's just jump right in. The Houston Astros, this was earlier today. They placed Yordan Alvarez and Jose Urquidy on the 10-day IL, and Dusty Baker said they were dealing with, quote, a condition that prevents them from reporting to the field. So uh, they legally cannot say whether or not it was a positive COVID test, but it kind of sounds like either one of them tested positive or both, or they have had contact with somebody. Uh, Scott, are you moving Yordan Alvarez or Jose, Jose Urquidy down yet? So we're like, what, 10 days out from opening day? 10 days, Something yep. like that, a little over a week and a half. Um, I don't know. This has been something that's going on a while for both of them. They haven't reported yet. I think at this point with Urquidy, it's fair to assume he's not going to be ready to start, even if he's 
activated from the IL. Uh, so that's easier to do than maybe Alvarez. You know, we've seen very quick turnarounds on some of these IL stents where they're activated like two days later. So I'm a little reluctant to make a big move there yet, but I think by by this weekend, I'm I'm expecting this will be the biggest draft weekend upcoming, the last weekend before the season starts. And so, you know, probably by going to spend some time uh, Friday, you know, anybody who's still, we don't have a timetable or any inkling when they're going to return. I'll probably be making some moves then. Chris, does this mean Kyle Tucker is back in the lineup? <laughs> it's a roller coaster with Kyle Tucker because, you know, every time we talk about him, it's, you know, Dusty Baker saying Josh Reddick is going to start. And uh, now it seems like if Yordan Alvarez is not ready to go, then Kyle Tucker could be back in the lineup. And uh, for what it's worth, Roster Resource has Austin Pruitt and Framber Valdez in the in the Astros rotation, not Josh James. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, but, you know, at this point, that's still a lot of guesswork uh, going into that. Um, Josh James has reported, right? He was delayed at first. He but, was delayed for personal reasons, yeah. too. It wasn't anything COVID-19 related. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it definitely makes the back end of the Astros rotation uh, look a little worse, and it definitely creates, uh, you know, a, a scenario where some of those late-round targets that we liked, Arkady and James primarily among them, you know, it, it makes it a lot less likely that they're going to be in the rotation at the start of the season. And given that it's the Astros and given that they've shown a willingness to not uh, force guys into the lineup if they don't have to, um, it's entirely possible that they just never really get the chance and they just view James especially as a bullpen weapon. As far as yeah. Kyle Tucker, I think this absolutely helps him. He's the, you know, I don't think he's the ninth best hitter on that team. I think he's <laughs> probably, you know, closer to the fifth or sixth best hitter although frankly with that team it's pretty stacked team <laughs> it might be like seven uh but either way yeah I, I think it gives them an opportunity to keep reddick in the lineup which it sounds like they wanted that that's the direction they were leaning in recent days but it opens up an opportunity for kyle tucker and you know ultimately i think tucker just needs a chance and even if jordan alvarez does return to the team you know early in the season you know, if he does miss a start, the start of the regular season, I just think it's a great opportunity for Kyle Tucker to prove, um, you know, that he has the chops. And they've worked him out of first base. They can play him at DH. They can play him in the outfield. I just th – there's a lot to like about him once he gets the chance. And so hopefully that's what this is. I, I looked up Josh James. He, uh, he hasn't reported yet. They're expecting him back within the next couple days. Okay. But – yeah, I think it's like he hadn't officially won the fifth spot, and yep. yeah, I, no. I think I think it'll I think it'll be harder for him to now. I've actually like I haven't I haven't like made a big move with him in my rankings, but certainly like mentally, I I think about it as we're like when we did this auction on Friday, and I I wasn't willing to go the extra dollar for Josh James like I would have been in the past. You know, the name we have to bring up here. Maybe this open up, opens up an opportunity for Forrest Whitley. Uh, Astros' top pitching prospect. They've been talking him up in summer camp. Yeah, struggled last year uh, in the minors. Dealt with a, had a suspension, I think, the year before. So hasn't quite developed the way we had hoped. But 
still widely viewed as one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Maybe this is an opportunity for him. Two more players are opting out. White Sox prospects, speaking of prospects, Michael Kopech and yep. then Buster Posey, who, of course, is the Giants veteran catcher. Kind of caught some people by surprise there. Um, but, you know, it kind of begs the question here, Scott, about Joey Bart. I don't know that it's going to happen because they've come out and already said that he needs more development. But, of course, he is also a top prospect. Last year hit 278 with 16 home runs and an 824 OPS. Um, are you expecting this to be... Joey Bart's job, or do you think we'll see him at some point this season? What do you What do you think with Joey Bart? I I think there's a decent chance we see him at some point. They have nobody else. Like every catcher is a non roster. I think it's Rob Please. Brantley yeah. is now the starter. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a bad situation. So we we already know that a player stays down a week, the team can then call him up and and uh, get an extra year of service time that way. So it's possible they're just using the development as you know code for that. Uh, it's, it's possible, you know, if they're terrible right out of the gate, they don't even bother, but you know, they're, they're a team, the giants where there seems to be a little buzz about them maybe being able to sneak their way in, in a 60 game season, even though, you know, to me, it looks like they're one of the seven teams with no chance, but I, they don't seem to be being treated that way by the national media. So, you know, if they get off to a hot start, then I think there is a good chance Bart is up and. Yeah, I don't know that it would be an automatic pickup in a one-catcher league, but I, certainly he has the kind of upside to to make a splash and and you know enter the equation there. Obviously, not the best park for it, but yeah, definitely a situation to keep an eye on. Yeah, Joey Bart went for two dollars in this auction that we're going to talk about that we did on Friday. So the news kind of broke, and then I, th- I think it was you who threw him out there, Scott. I think you nominated mm-hmm. Joey Bart, yeah. and then he went for two bucks. So you know, more than your more than your typical one dollar catcher there in a two catcher league. But and, and I it, two catcher league, like you said, and I threw him out very early, uh, where people, you know, people tend to to spend more on anybody you throw out there early, just because there's so much money and they're they're used to bidding each other up. And only one guy jumped in. So that that tells you among the industry, uh, enthusiasm is low, even with this Posey opt-out. With the White Sox, no Michael Kopech means that Gio Gonzalez should be safe in the rotation, as well as Dylan Cease and Ronaldo Lopez to round out their rotation. Uh, speaking of the White Sox, Juan Moncada was placed on the 10-day IL for an undisclosed reason. His status for opening day is, quote, uncertain. So Chris, someone that you and I were excited about, Yuan Moncada, seems like he could have a delayed start to the season. Yeah, and, and that could be the kind of thing that maybe opens up an opportunity for Nick Madrigal right. on the opening day roster. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly if Nick Madrigal has the the arm to play third base. That that I don't know. He can but... play second though and they can slide Leori Garcia over to third. Is yeah, I just, I has he played third base much? That's the only question I have. I mean, you figure he, they, a guy who can handle second base should be able to handle third base, but you know, you never know. That was the move Yon Mankata made. Aroldo Chapman tested positive for uh, COVID nineteen and is actually displaying mild symptoms over the weekend. So Zach Britton will close in the meantime. Um, this is another one, Scott. Uh, have you done anything in the rankings yet regarding Aroldo Chapman? I haven't yet, but I need to, and I need to move Britton up, obviously, uh, especially. I mean, testing positive this close to the start of things and having symptoms, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to assume he's going to miss a couple weeks of the season at least and 
potentially more. And, and like the Yankees actually made a point to say who was going to replace him, which is was refreshing. So, you know, you can go after Britain if you want to handcuff those two or just if you need a cheap, safe source at the start of the season. And he's got value on his own. You know, Zach Britton has standalone value. Aaron Judge did not participate in summer camp workouts on Saturday or Sunday after coming down with a stiff neck. There's always something with this guy. I, I don't think that it's related somehow to the rib, but it just seems like there is always something with Aaron Judge. Yeah, I don't think this is a big deal. Supposed to be back Tuesday. Just a stiff neck. We shall see. Cleveland manager Terry Francona suggested Sunday that Francisco Lindor might might bat third this season. Cesar Hernandez is a candidate to lead off, which would be tremendous for his value, especially in a points league. He would get the volume. He has good plate discipline typically, solid walk rates consistently for Cesar Hernandez. Um, So, yeah, we could see him near the top there. I would imagine... Some combination of Carlos Santana, Jose Ramirez, Lindor, uh, two, three, four. I think the person that hurts most is Oscar Mercado, who has mentioned could be dropped to seventh in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. That makes him a lot more interesting. I think kind of by default. Um, Hernandez, you mean? No, no. Uh, Mercado. Oh, okay. Makes Mercado less interesting. Less, less interesting. Okay. Seventh yeah, than, yeah. okay. I was confused. Um, no, Hernandez. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's the player he is isn't terribly exciting. You're you're hoping for a 15 home or 15 steal pace with a good average, but you know, at the top of that lineup, all of a sudden, you know, it could be like an Adam Eaton kind of situation. Yeah, you could be looking at a 90 plus run scored pace for Cesar Hernandez. It's something yep. he has done before. Back in 2018, he had 91 runs scored. So. Something to monitor there and obviously could help the RBI output for Francisco Lindor batting in the middle of the lineup. The Orioles apparently are interested in signing Yasiel Puig. They've made at least one offer per Mark Feinsand of MLB.com. Scott, you picked up Yasiel Puig in the reserve rounds of this uh, Roto auction we're going to talk about. And look, Baltimore would be a fantastic place for him to land. Well, you know he'd play. Yeah, and it's a good venue. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing for me. I worry that Puig would just latch on to whatever contender uh, made a play for him and and then basically serve as a high-profile reserve. But uh, Orioles would be a good destination for him. I don't don't think we can count on much. Like, just the Orioles are interested in a made-up offer. Okay, how long have we heard that the Giants are interested? You know, like, I, I don't know that it's imminent, his signing. Hopefully it is because, you know, there's not much time left. But I'm not... I'm not at a point where I would invest much in Puig based on this news. Yeah, it's it's so weird. We're 10 days out and Yasiel Puig does not have a job. I get it. He's a hothead. He probably thinks he's worth more than he actually is. But come on. I mean, someone can use Yasiel Puig. Both Scott Kingery and Tommy Pham were cleared to join their respective teams as they return from the COVID IL. Uh, Cole Hamels skipped a side session on Saturday due to triceps tendonitis. Braves manager Brian Snitker had this to say, I think we're probably a week away from seeing where he's going to be. I would probably start to doubt the availability of Cole Hamels early in the season, Scott. <laughs> I've got a doubting the piggyback plan for the Braves too. Now yeah. that they've lost Hamels and Hernandez opted out. Uh, yeah, they're, they at least can't do that with all five spots of their rotation. They've because got... Tuki Toussaint, they don't have Tuki Toussaint either. He's been, he's, he tested positive and I don't think is reported yet. This is a team that does have a lot of options, though, and some of them are really interesting. Yeah, 
I think the assumption would be that Colby Allard would be the, the Colby next Allard's guy. In, no, he's he's not no? in the organization. He's with the Rangers. Oh, who was who am I thinking of then? Um, Sean. It wasn't Ian. It wasn't Ian Hernandez or Sean. Sean. I'm, I'm a mess right now. Ian Anderson <laughs> is the yeah. most interesting of the Braves prospects. He got to AAA last year. Yeah. Uh, struggled a bit, but he is the top pitching prospect in the organization. He is. But there was someone else who wasn't Sean Newcomb that I was thinking of. Kyle Wright. That's the one. Thank you, okay. Scott. Yeah, I would assume Sean Newcomb takes Hernandez's spot. Kyle Wright takes Hamill's spot. They do still have Bryce Wilson. Uh, they they have Josh Tomlin, of course, the former Cleveland Indians starter. Uh, I, Ian Anderson isn't on the 40-man roster, so I'd be surprised if he was playing a role from the beginning. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think stock up is up here for for right. He's the second best pitching prospect in the organization and finished the year at triple a strong. And, you know, he could, he could end up keeping that spot if he, if he performs well at the start. The last piece of news that we actually received on Friday, Vladimir Guerrero jr. Is going to focus on first base and designated hitter throughout summer camp. And Scott, this is actually pretty significant. I, I, we probably figured it was going to happen eventually for Vlad. I didn't think it was going to happen this soon, but first base is kind of a shallow position. So if we can get Vlad in there and then early on in the season, Miguel Sano should have first base eligibility. All right, maybe first base isn't looking as bad as we thought originally. Yeah, and that that tends to be what happens. I don't know, you know, if you're counting on, if, it, if it's going to take five games still, uh, in your league, I mean, I guess it's a week either way. If it's weekly lineup lock, lock whether it's five games to gain eligibility or, or fewer. Uh, but, you know, Vladimir's going to split his time at DH in first base, so it's possible he doesn't pick up first base eligibility that first week. And, you know, you're, there's only so many weeks you're working with. So bottom line is I'm not sure it really changes his value that much in the short term. But it was a surprise that they're already doing this because there was not a whisper about it before then. Chris, where would you slot Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in first base ranks? Would you is he behind Josh Bell, Matt Olson, that group, Jose Abreu? Is he around that range? Yeah, I think I would draft him in the Jose Abreu range, and that's not far from where he's being drafted. You know, I think his ADP is what fifty-eight, something like that. Um, so yeah, like I, I would rather have Josh Bell. Josh Bell has already, you know, taken that leap. Whereas Vladimir Guerrero, you're hoping he takes that leap. But you know, I wrote about Vladimir Guerrero at the beginning of uh, the last training, uh, spring training, that you know you, you're kind of fading him at your own peril here because like I think it makes sense to fade him. I think it's a logical position to take, and he can make you look really, really dumb for doing it because the talent is immense. We've talked about that all the time, lead baseball and number of bad balls hit over 115 miles per hour, which is a really good indicator of raw power. You know, you're talking about the kind of stuff that Aaron judge and Joey Gallo and, you know, Giancarlo Stanton usually do. And so he has that kind of raw power. It's about finding a way to tap into that and, you know, elevate the ball more, especially. Yeah. Elevating the ball would be huge for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Just hit too many ground balls last season, but uh, based on how hard he hits the ball, there is upside there. And, you know, I think in that range uh, makes sense amidst, you know, those first basemen. Uh, So he will have dual eligibility, third base and first base this season. What do you got, Chris? 
We didn't mention the name, but Travis Shaw is likely to be the everyday third baseman for the Blue Jays. And he was one of the worst hitters in baseball last season. And it was pretty much a disaster from the start of spring training when I think he had like 25 strikeouts to no walks in like 50 plate appearances or something ridiculous like that. Not Uh, great. It was a lost season, but Travis Shaw had two consecutive 30 homer seasons the two years before that. This is a good lineup and a good park. Uh, I'm excited to see Travis Shaw in the lineup every day. Definitely late round sleeper, definitely someone to target uh, with one of your last few picks. Before we get into this 12-team Roto auction that we did on Friday, I do want to promote some things quickly. The CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball Commissioner product is free for this season. That's normally a $180 value that you are getting for free, fully customizable Roto, head-to-head points, head-to-head categories, auction, dynasty. Scott plays his dynasty league with the CBS Fantasy Baseball Commissioner product. Um, And you can set it up basically however you want. Uh, People have asked... How do I play double headers and head-to-head? How do I play triple headers? Well, you can do that with the commissioner product. So, look, try it out for a season or just continue to play on CBS if you've been here before. Um, why not? It's free. You might as well. And subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, Fantasy Baseball Today. We just broke 500 subscribers, so thank you for that. But let's continue to grow. The next milestone, 1,000. Let's get there. Fantasy Baseball Today, the YouTube channel. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, 12-team Roto auction recap. Standard Roto, two catchers, five outfielders, corner infielder, middle infielder, utility, and nine pitcher spots. Scott. I think everyone got that. (laughs) Your overall strategy. Heading in, did you have any rules that you were following? Did you have specific players that you wanted to wind up with? Did you have a a plan? Did you have a, you know, I, I basically <sighs> mapped out what I wanted to do beforehand. And I knew I was yeah. going to not spend more than $10 on my c- combined catchers. 
I was not going to spend more than $20 on three combined closers. So those were just things that I had in my mind. Did you mm-hmm. have any set plans, rules, or strategy heading into this thing? Well, people who have listened to for a long time probably know I make out a budget beforehand uh, that I can keep flexible. But, you know, I, I, I input a certain amount at each position that uh, depending on the caliber of player I want at that position and obviously make sure it adds up to 260. So, of course, I did that. But I, yeah. more specifically, I, I did do this a little differently than I normally do in auction. My thinking going in was that the season's going to be over so fast. I have to make sure. I, I, I have to make sure that I have players who I can count on from the beginning. And also, a lot of players are going to drop out at a moment's notice, whether because they test positive or, or whatever else. Like, you're just going to be losing players all the time. So I didn't want to put too many eggs in one basket. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to go out all out for Ronald Acuna or Christian Yelich and depend on them for such a high percentage of my production that if ever they were lost, which seems more likely for everybody you could draft this year than ever, uh, I would I would have, you know, I would just be sunk without them. So I didn't want to do that. So I wanted to distribute my dollars a little more evenly. And I think I did do that. I did make the mistake, though, of looking back at the auction we did in March. And some of the players I like seeing what amount they went for in that auction and then just assuming I was going to get them for that same amount in this auction, which is of course not at all the way an auction works. So when I was, I was complaining to you guys before the show saying, you know, maybe I, maybe I made my plan too loose. I I think it's actually the opposite. I think I made my plan too specific. I assumed I was going to get this player for this spot at this amount, this player at this spot for this amount. And it left me with more holes coming out of an auction than, I normally have. Chris, how about for you? Did you did you have a plan? Did you write down players you wanted, or do you just kind of price and force for you know guys that you think are going too cheap? What was what was the overall strategy heading into this? I am not a man with a plan, <laughs> like Scott. Uh, I you know I, I have a general sense of what I want to do, but it doesn't really change all that much in an auction. Uh, you know, I knew I wanted to get two high level starting pitchers. I knew I wanted to, you know, last time we, the last couple of times we've done auctions, you've been able to get some pretty decent uh, values on like third to seventh round hitters. And so I generally like to live in that area as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, a a little bit of it is, you know, try to price and force, you identify players you like. And, you know, I did end up with two first rounders, a second rounder, um, and, you know, probably two third rounders. So I'm pretty happy with the way that went. And that happened without having to spend, you know, multiple $40 players, only three $30 players. So, you know, I, I'm pretty happy with the way that worked out. Um, and that's why I like to stay flexible and just kind of take what the auction gives me. You can go too far in that, obviously, but uh, you can also go too far in having a plan. Yeah, Chris wound up with six players that were worth $20 or more. You got Mookie Betts for $42. You got Jose Ramirez for $32. You have Alex Bregman for $33. You got Mike Clevenger for $29. Patrick Corbin for $27. And then Ozzy Albies for $24. Uh, Scott had also had six 
players of 20 or more dollars. Uh, Francisco Lindor, who you got for $34. You got Shane Bieber for 30. You got Anthony Rendon for 28. Jordan Alvarez for 24. Cattell Marte for 23. Austin Meadows for 21. And um, if you just want to lower it down to $19, that threshold, you got you Darvish for 19. You did wind up with four of your top 30, Scott, starting pitchers. You got Bieber, Darvish, Berrio, Soroka. But as soon as you won Berrios, you wrote in the chat, I instantly regret this. Why was that? Yeah. Berrios is somebody I never... I, this is the first time I've gotten him in any league, I think. He's not He's not a favorite of mine. I, he's not a big bat misser. He's... You know, he doesn't really stand out in anything. He's kind of just an accumulator. Um, and that's... You know, you have to make split-second des- decisions in an auction... And that is actually, it, it was a couple things. Relative to the pitchers going in his same vicinity, $15 seemed like a good price for him, which I fell into the trap of doing a lot in this auction. Oh, I'm used to seeing, I'm used to seeing these really good players go for this amount and this really good player is going for this amount. So I have to have them. But of course you can only do that so many times. And I did it for Barrios, who's not somebody I'm particularly fond of. But I also... What also contributed to the decision was, okay, like he seems not volatile. And like that, I saw that as an asset because the season's so short. Like I, mm. I don't, I didn't feel like Jose Barrios was the kind of pitcher I had to worry about having a six ERA in April. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that that's especially scientific, but that's what my split second brain decided to do. See, I could, I could make the argument that it's the opposite, that the, the stable lower upside guy might be less valuable in the 60 game season, because what you're paying for is that stability over 200 innings. Yeah. Uh, And so that, you know, that nobody's going to be stable in 60 innings or people will be, but it will be unpredictable to tell who it would be beforehand. And so, you know, that is a big argument for him is that he's an innings eater. Who's reliable. Mm -hmm. Um, which kind of slips away in a 60-game season, at least a little bit. Yeah. You know, I actually let you guys get in my head because you guys know that I like Ozzy Albies a lot, and we spoke about this in the second base preview, that Ozzy Albies is someone who, okay, I mean, he'll chip in something in steals throughout the course of the season. Normally, it's like a 15-steal pace, maybe a 20-steal pace if, if you're lucky. But I thought about that, and I, I wanted to get steals. I knew going in that I wanted to get one of Trey Turner or Adalberto Modesi. I mm-hmm. told myself, I had it written down for shortstop, that I was going to get one of those two players. Modesi last year in his first 60 games hit 280 with 22 steals. He led Major League Baseball. In Trey Turner's first 60 games, he had 20 steals. So I wanted a difference maker there. Uh, were there any specific players, guys, or situations like that where you knew you had to get someone because of either a position scarcity or a category scarcity? For me, it was one of Turner or Mondesi. I wound up with Turner for $42. The only player I specifically targeted, because, you know, if anything, I made my plan too specific, like I said. The only one I specifically targeted that I got was, uh, uh, no, I'm blanking on who it was, Cattell Marte for $23. I wanted him because, you know, in, in an auction, I look for the the players who are, the players where you, where, the, where you devote your money, where it's going to make the most impact. And second base being a thin position, Cattell Marte, in my mind, being the clear standout there. I, I wanted him. way it turned out, 
Uh, he's starting in my outfield, not second base. <laughs> so I'm not even sure what that was about. But but then the one thing I wanted to target specifically most of all was stolen bases like you. I wanted one of those uh, really uh, high-impact base stealers, those high-volume base stealers, ones where you don't have to worry so much about what stretch of the season they're in, how many steals they contribute. Like You know they're going to run throughout a season, so even in 60 games, you can count on them giving you a lot. And the one I specifically targeted was Jonathan VR, actually, because he's kind of the, the less exciting version of Mondesi, right? I told myself I was going to spend $20 on him, he went for 22. So I backed off. Um, so instead my, I have a few, I have a few like, you know, 15 to 20 steel guys over a full season guys who could maybe pitch in there. But my big steals guy is Colton Wong, who I have starting at second base. And of course I didn't pay much for him. I paid a dollar, one dollar. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so it may work out, but that's, you know, I feel vulnerable in stolen bases because of that. We're going to get back to your guys' teams, but I want to look at some of the top price players and how much they went for. You know, at the very top, Christian Yelich went for $56. There was like a... And it's worth pointing out. Were you part of that, that bidding happened. war? You were, were, you, were you in that? Yeah, so, yeah, we had, uh, last time we did this draft, Donkey Teeth, uh, did he end up with four $50 players? He wound up... I don't know about the last time, but in this one, he wound up with Yelich for 56, Ronald Acuna for 49, and Cody Bellinger for 44. And that was the strategy for him. You know, the last time it was his strategy, this time it was his strategy. He was going to try to get multiple, at least three of that top five. And I think last time he might have even gotten four. Uh, and so once I realized that was happening, you know, you just start pushing Christian Yelich up. That's, that's the thing is one... Once you know someone has made up their mind that they have to get a player, and especially if it's a really good player like Christian Yelich, where like, if I had gotten him for $55, okay, great, awesome, I have Christian Yelich on my team. Um, but once, once you realize that's happening, you kind of owe it to yourself to see how far that person is willing to go. Oh, man. But you don't want to get, I mean, as, as great as Yelich is, Chris, you don't want to get stuck with him at $55. Why not? I mean, if you're if it's a lot. but then the, you're not price enforcing. If you're if you're happy to get them with fifty five dollars well, yourself, both. that's not really your motivation. It's both. My primary motivation was to knowing that he was going to invest so much of his salary in in a handful of players. It's it's about taking but, away those opportunities to buy better players on the low end of his roster. But you didn't know. I would also you had a hunch. You had a I hunch. mean, based on the way he dra- based on the way he did the auction. This is Donkey Teeth from Roto. Right. And, I don't know. If and we I think that. based on the way he did the March auction, you yes. had a hunch. And, and I think it was like I went. I think I jumped in at like forty eight, forty nine. He immediately went and bid. I bid again. He immediately. Once that happened, it was like, okay, well, we're gonna see how long I can stretch this. <laughs> but you didn't want Yelich at fifty seven, Chris. Stop there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, those $2, that, that makes all the difference. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just think of the infamous Jed Jerko story with me and Nando. I, <laughs> I, I thought I couldn't have pegged anyone harder than I pegged Nando for Jed Jerko that year. And that Well, that's why it has to be a player you actually want. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I want to read off Donkey Teeth's team real quick, and you guys tell me what you think of it, because it's, it's very stars and scrubsy. So, you know, he did wind up with... 
Acuna, Yelich, and Cody Bellinger. His catchers are Tucker Barnhart and Jacob Stallings. Second baseman, Brandon Lau. Third base, Yohan Moncada, who might need to replace now. Uh, Paul DeYoung. Rugned Odor at middle infield. Reese Hoskins at corner infield. Not bad. for uh, I believe he got him for $8. Shinsu Chu, Dylan Carlson, Joe Adele rounded out the outfield with Acuna and Yelich. Uh, and then he has Alex Verdugo at his utility. What do you think about that, yeah. Scott? Nah. nah. I mean, I've, I've, I've won leagues doing ultra stars and scrubs like this. Like, just bidding on as many first-rounders as I could get, basically. But I don't think the player pool is set up that way this year. There's just too many... Too many mid-round type hitters who could compete with the early round type hitters in production. And it, even even then, even even acknowledging that, I thought it could work over a full-length season where you have the benefit of time to sort out the scrubs. Because I, I mean, if you're really settling for scrubs, it's not gonna work. You have to right. you have to trust yourself to find breakouts among those scrubs and to play the waiver wire aggressively. And, you know, find actually suitable players to position around the scrubs. And, mm-hmm. But you have the benefit of time over a full season to make it work that you don't in this season. And I, you know, I look at like Joe Adele, like uh, just a bunch of guys that either definitely aren't going to contribute anything from the start or you're not going to be able to give them the patience to figure out whether or not they're real contributors for you this year. Chris's pitchers wound up Trevor Bauer, Julio Arias, AJ Puck, Mackenzie Gore, Dustin May, Josh Hader, Kirby Yates, Dellen Batances, and James Karinchek. I'm wondering, he clearly has maybe five starters, and, and Gore might not even be in the rotation to start the season. Will he meet the 350 innings pitched minimum for the season? I mean, I guess if he thinks he can get there, you know, drafting elite closers like Yates and Hader makes sense, but. What do you think of this this strategy with the the paying up for the three hitters and then kind of winding up with this group of pitchers? So that comes out to about 40 innings per uh, week for the full season. And you figure if you've got five starters, maybe they get seven to eight starts per week between them. So you're probably looking at close to 35 innings at least there. Uh, yeah, I think you can probably get there. The, the, the problem is specifically with like Mackenzie Gore, Julio Arias, AJ Puck, Dustin May. How many innings are they going to give you? Those guys seem less likely to give you five innings consistently, especially early on in the season. Obviously, you know, Dustin May, Mackenzie Gore, and even Puck to a certain extent are not guaranteed to be in the rotation to start the season. And so that's one where if all of a sudden May and Gore aren't in the rotation until, you know, the third week of August or something, it's going to be really tough. And you're going to have to start picking up two starts, two start streamers. And look, it's, there's no perfect strategy to build a team. And I I don't want to come off as if I'm down on this approach or this team. I, I, what I like about it is it is a high variance play. And in this kind of season, you know, a high variance play could work out really well. It might be the ideal way to go because everything's high variance this year. Um, but there are definitely ways it can go wrong. Yeah, I mean, so many players who aren't even going to make the team from the start. Like, that's I just don't know that you have time to climb out of that hole in this season. I'll, I'll be more critical of it than you, Chris. I don't think... 
I, I think, like I said, I, I think I could buy into this approach going after those high upside guys who you expect to make a big contribution down the line and just filling in in the meantime. I think it makes sense over a six-month season. It could work. For a two-month season, I don't think so. The other players that were at the top in terms of price, Yelich, we mentioned 56 Ronald Acuna, $49. Cody Bellinger, $44. Mookie Betts, $42. Trey Turner, who I wound up with, $42. Mike Trout went for $39. Trout was tied for the sixth most expensive player with Garrett Cole. Scott, I mean, I think we all kind of figured Trout would go for a bit of a discount just because of the situation with his wife being pregnant and, you know, he hasn't completely ruled out opting out of the season. I don't think it's going to happen, but he hasn't ruled it out. $39. You're getting them at a discount. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't go to 40. I probably went to 30. I might, I may have been the one who went to 38 and then somebody else went to 39. Uh, this, what he ended up going for was just what we were talking about moving him down to the middle of the first round. That's, that's what the price tag ended up being for trout. And uh, you know, how long it's taking for these tests to turn around and knowing he'll need to have a negative test before he rejoins the team. I think it's, I'm to the point where I'm assuming he's going to miss about a week for his kid being born. And there's a way he could miss even in longer for that. So, you know, but even if we're just assuming a week in a nine week season, like assuming he's everything trout's supposed to be. Otherwise that's still probably not going to be the best player in fantasy. So yeah, I think it makes sense. In terms of the other players that we saw kind of discounted for different reasons, more so for COVID reasons, uh, we saw Freddie Freeman went for $27. Scott, you have him priced for $34 in a 12-team auction. So uh, some value there, $7 potentially of value. Charlie Blackman went for 20 Scott, you have him for 25 DJ LeMahieu went for 17 You have him for 20 bucks. Miguel Sano went for $8. You have him for 14 and Salvador Perez went for six. You have him for seven dollars. And Eduardo Rodriguez went for five bucks, where you have him for eight dollars. So outside of Lazardo, who went for eleven, and Scott Kingery, who went for six dollars, Scott, we did see these players get discounted because of COVID concerns. And nobody on this podcast wound up with any of these players. So I think that's notable that we were. I don't know if it was conscious, but we were avoiding them to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, yeah, it's probably just a coincidence that none of us ended up with them. I mean, it's obvious from what the final bids were that everybody was downgrading them. Uh, it's, it's worth noting Joey Gallo and Tommy Pham weren't cleared yet. They've since been cleared and rejoined their teams, but Gallo didn't really go for a discount. Pham Pham did, did. Go for a slight discount. Yeah. yeah. So it was, you know, it, it was it was kind of random who got discounted and who didn't. Luzardo, especially, like considering he's a starting pitcher and will need time to build up. I'm surprised he didn't go go for that, more of a discount. I think that it's just was the one name. where as soon as he came up, I just kind of I turned away from the computer. I didn't I didn't need to to be involved in that one. I just mm-hmm. given the workload concerns we already had, given the fact that now he's sick and has to come back from that, or yeah. now he's tested positive and has to come back from that. It just it seems like a a situation where he might not be a full-time starter until, you know, four weeks into the season. Kingery has rejoined the team too, uh, but he hadn't at the point we did this and went for $6, which is about what I had him for. I think, I think it makes sense on the lower end like that when you're looking for a player who's uh, 
just a unique kind of player for who fills a specific need at a specific price, and it's not that big of a price. He probably shouldn't be discounted that much because there's only so much he can be discounted. But like I, I thought it, I thought it was totally appropriate in all those cases how much they were discounted. And obviously, I mean, I wasn't the one willing to go the extra dollar. Scott, let's take a closer look at your team. You got Christian Vasquez and. Travis Darno as your two catchers for a combined three dollars. Edwin Encarnacion for five bucks. Colton Wong for one dollar. Anthony Rendon for twenty-eight. Francisco Lindor for thirty-four. You got Marcus Semien as your middle infielder for fourteen dollars. Tommy Listella as your corner infielder for two bucks. And then your outfield is Cattell Marte twenty-three. Austin Meadows twenty-one. Eddie Rosario eight dollars. Brian Reynolds four dollars. Mike Yastrzemski for a buck. And Yordan Alvarez as your utility bat. For twenty four dollars, you spent one hundred and sixty eight dollars on your hitting, which is sixty four and a half percent of your budget. What do you think of your lineup here? Uh, well, it sounds bad when you first start reading it off, and I have Encarnacion <laughs> at first base and Colton Wong at second. It gets better after that. Um, it it didn't go it didn't go according to plan. Like I said, I wanted to really distribute my dollars a little more evenly. That meant at catcher, I came in with a plan of getting both Real Muto and Garver at catcher. I ended up with Vasquez and Darno. So clearly <laughs> that did not go as planned. Um, and like I said, it was just, it was counting too much on the prices we saw with, you know, about half this same group in March. Um, I think I need more steals. Uh, Wong is my biggest source there. I have Lindor Simeon, Marte, and Meadows who should chip in, but I'm not sure it's enough. I do have Puig on my bench from the reserve round, so hopefully he can sign quickly enough to make a contribution in the steals category too. I think I'm really solid in batting average. I think I should be fine in power as long as Alvarez doesn't miss too much time. Uh, but yeah, batting average looks like my best offensive category in like runs. Runs should be pretty good too. Eddie Rosario at $8 was probably my best bang for the buck buy. And he's not a particularly exciting player, but like he should be really, really strong in batting average and solid in three other categories. And, you know, obviously would be must start player for whatever team in a five outfielder league. So that was probably my best one. Uh, my worst, I, I regretted, I regretted getting, I don't know that it's my worst, but Encarnacion at $5. As my starting first baseman, that was with Carlos Santana still on the board. And I targeted Josh Bell for about 15. That's who I hoped to get as my first baseman. He went for 16. I don't know. I maybe should have gone the extra dollar there. Encarnacion for five. Carlos Santana was still out there. And I just knew Carlos Santana would go for five later on. And he yeah. did. He <laughs> and that's exactly what five. he did. Yeah, he went for exactly so five bucks. I would have rather had Santana than Encarnacion there. But, you know, Encarnacion should be good for power. And he keeps me... You know, without without him there, without a power hitter at first base, I probably would have been in trouble with that category too. Scott, your pitchers were Shane Bieber for thirty bucks, you Darvish at nineteen, Jose Barrios fifteen, Mike Soroka fourteen, Madison Bumgarner six dollars, Alex Wood three dollars, Marcus Stroman two dollars, Corey Knebel for two bucks, Jay Hat for a dollar, and in your reserves, you wound up with Wade Davis, Ryan Helsley, Jordan Hicks, and Tyler Rogers, who has. Yep. A, is a name that has been thrown around with the Giants that could potentially be used at the back end of their bullpen. Um, By Gabe, Gabe Kapler himself. Yeah, so, yeah. It's I, it's not 
a total shot in the dark yeah, there. But yeah, I was clearly trying to uh, corner saves whatever way I could because I basically punted on saves in the auction. Um, just about every closer went for $5 or more. And uh, the ones who didn't, I had already filled like all but one of my pitcher spots at that point. Like those nine pitcher spots, they get, they get filled up so fast in an auction, mm-hmm. a roto auction, I feel like. And like if I hadn't gotten a closer with my first eight, why am I going to spend up for just one closer? You know, I ended up getting Knebel for one, right? Hoping he would hoping he would find his way into at least half the save chances for Milwaukee. And then, yeah, Wade Davis is supposed to open as the Rockies closer. Uh, Helsley has been talked about maybe closing for the Cardinals. Jordan Hicks, when he comes back from the IL and, and hopefully Rogers for the giants will have a role there. I'm not sure any of them are really going to end up starting for me. I have a ton of starting pitcher depth. I have eight starting pitchers. My worst is either Marcus Stroman, Jay Happ or Alex Wood. None of whom I think is, bad you know i could afford to lose all three of those and i'd still have a really strong starting group with bieber darvish soroka uh who am i missing barrios and and bumgarner uh bumgarner i you know i talk about him as a bust a lot but he went for six dollars so it was like i don't know i just it, it just seemed like a no downside buy at that point and uh my starting pitching should be strong, but since I basically punted on saves here to start the year after already having a stolen base shortage, I mean, I, I got an uphill battle here. I'm going to have to figure out how to be strong in one of those categories, I think, to have a shot at winning this league. And, you know, go, presuming a trade is always dicey, so I'm not sure that's going to be the way to do it. Chris, your team, you wound up with uh, Sean Murphy and Roberto Perez at catcher, $3 combined. Luke Voigt for $6. Ozzy Albies, 24 Jose Ramirez, 32 Alex Bregman, 33 Dansby Swanson, the cheat code for a buck. I actually had him written down as my middle infielder. But then I got Elvis Ooh. Andrews for 3 So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'm okay with that. CJ Crone for a dollar. Your outfield, Mookie Betts for 42 Eloy Jimenez, 16 Mark Hanna, 5 bucks. Austin Riley, $3. Nick Senzel, $3. And your utility bat is Howie Kendrick. Let's just read off your pitchers too quickly. Mike Clevenger, 29 Patrick Corbin, 27 Matthew Boyd, 10 bucks. Joe Musgrove, oh, how dare you, you sneaky Chris Towers. Carlos Martinez, 5 bucks. Dylan Cease, $2.00. Dylan Bundy, $2.00. Sean Doolittle, $5.00. And Tony Watson for $2.00. Chris, was this like bizarro, Chris? Because you wound up with Eloy Jimenez and Mike Clevenger. It's just two players. <laughs> and look, Eloy is one that looking at guys who went after him for similar prices, you know, I, I would have preferred like Nick Castellano. So you put that in the notes. He went for a dollar more. Well, yeah, he went 60 picks later also. And so... You know, if if Castellanos had been put up for auction at the 48 spot, I think is where Eloy went, he probably goes for 20. And I probably would have preferred him. But unfortunately, that's the thing about auction drafts. That's what makes them so tough is you, you never know who's going to go later. There's always going to be discounts. You never know who those discounts are going to, are going to be or what position they're going to be at. You know, I think part of it, um, you know, maybe making the mistake of saying, well, Eloy Jimenez, that's a guy with upside. I'd like to have some exposure to him and, and making that 
uh, my thought process rather than doing what I normally do and what I think you should do in auctions, which is identify the likely production, divorce it from the name and just pay for the production. And I think that's a situation where I probably didn't do that. Yeah. You bring up, you know, a lot of pricing throughout the course of an auction is just when a player is thrown out, when a player is nominated. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Scott wound up with Eddie Rosario for $8. And we all kind of have Rosario ranked similarly. I mean, he's a little bit behind Eloy Jimenez, but not far off. Nick Castellanos went for $17. We have Eddie Rosario in a similar range. But Rosario went so much later in terms of the nomination process that there really was not a lot of money to go around at that point. And there was just not really much excitement for him in the bidding process. So that's how Scott wound out with him for $8. And those things are going to happen in auctions. It it was a range where a bunch of players went for uh, similar discounts like that. Rosario was 8. You had Whit Merrifield go for 15. I have him like 23 or something. Marcus Simeon for 14. Jorge Soler for 13. Jeff McNeil, 11. Wilson Contreras, 10. Paul Goldschmidt, 10. Tommy Pham, 9. Yeah, you can dominate that mid-tier. If you right. wait and you just have the money left. Yeah, one thing I've noticed consistently in, in the auctions we've done with other people around the industry, and I, I mentioned it earlier, um, like how early a play, any, anybody who's nominated early, like obviously the studs, because you know they're, they're one of a kind, they're, you're not going to be able to replace their production, so people tend to, to spend a little extra to get them. But I don't know what it is. It's if they're just everybody gets used to bidding back and forth on the studs that when a non stud is thrown out, they're just or they just see that the price tag is really low by comparison and they want in. Like it, it just seems like anybody who gets thrown out early gets bid on. And that makes it so there's really not enough dollars to spend uh, in that middle range. You know, like if one of these players was thrown out early, like you're saying, like if one of them, you know, I'm sure Marcus Simeon could have gone for like 22 bucks if he had been thrown out, you know, as the 19th overall but, player nominated, you know? You know, there are also times you can sneak guys through early yeah. in the draft process too. Like that, like, I guess this draft didn't really have many examples of that, you know. Right. Corey Seager for 13 is actually pretty rich, and he was like the 13th player thrown out there. Mm-hmm. I guess you can I, I maybe make an argument lately. I have you can I, maybe Blake Snell at 22, uh-huh. but that's as much about injury concerns. So, yeah. yeah, this was one draft where that didn't really come to fruition, but it certainly can. Yeah, I, I've I've seen it before. I've I've been a part of it before, but you know, it's it's just it's just so much about knowing who you're drafting with and their tendencies and getting a feel for it early in the auction itself. Like if, if all the elite players are going for $10 more or more um, than, than what they were projected to go for, then, you know, maybe you should not go as aggressively after those players as you thought, because you know, the next year, there's just not going to be enough dollars to distribute between them. Uh, if somebody, if you see somebody else throw out uh, a guy early like that and, and get him for a dollar or two just because he's not the big name people are keying in on, then maybe you could try to do that yourself. But it's risky. It's risky. Yeah. I, I think I'm at the point now where 
it's better to wait. It's better for the players you want, like the lower end players that you want the most, the sleeper types. It's better for them to stay available as long as possible. Uh, that's obviously not universally true, but it, it, I'm finding it tends to be true. Yeah, for example, I knew that I wanted Franmil Reyes. He's someone I talk about a lot and a breakout candidate. I got him for $10. I was very happy with that price. Willie Calhoun, another outfielder I talk about a lot, knew I wanted him. He got thrown out a little bit later on. I got him for $8. So I think there is something to that. I typically, I knew I wanted one of Turner or Mondesi. I knew that I wanted one elite starting pitcher, so I wound up with DeGrom for $37. But then after that, I knew I was going to live in the mid-tier. I got Abreu for $12, McNeil at second base for 11 Donaldson for 15 Elvis Andrus for 3 Michael Brantley for 10 I got Will Myers for $4. So I knew that I was going to live in that range, and, and that's typically how I do attack auctions. I will probably spend up for one or two players. I actually usually don't even go into the $40 range, but I made an exemption here for Trey Turner. You can find the rest of these results over at CBSports.com. You can see my team. You can see Chris's team. You can see Scott's team as well and how much we spent for each of those players. I want to answer some questions here, uh, some Apple podcast questions that we received with a five-star rating and review. And let's jump right in. This one's from Team Facts. Frank, Adam, Chris Towers, Scott, Although I don't know where Adam is nowadays. I know Frank brought up Zach Greinke briefly during Pitcher Preview Part 1, but both he and Scott have him outside their top 15 starting pitchers in Roto specifically. Greinke is on a run-producing team and annually seems to perform like a top 10, top 5 last year starting pitcher. He's had a sub-3.30 ERA in all but one year since 2013. He might not have the strikeout upside others have, but this consistency seems valuable enough to be a top 10. I know he's old, but so are Charlie Morton, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, etc. So why are we down? Slash, what is your biggest concern with Zach Ranky Scott? I don't think I'm down on him. I've been uh I, I've been one of the highest guys on Zach Ranky over the years in fantasy. I, I think I have him where ranked where I do is largely a testament to how deep the high end crop of starting pitchers is this year. Um, I think, you know, why I rank him where I do relative to that group. Like, first of all, sure. You could easily talk me into moving him in the top 10. It's, it's a big tier where it's difficult to exactly sort out who belongs where, but ultimately why I put Granky where I do is because of that lack of strikeout upside. And, you know, if you're going to spend up for a starting pitcher, you want to make sure that he is actually an asset in as many categories as he can be. And, you know, as somebody who invested heavily in Granky last year, often as my two or even number one starting pitcher, uh, I sometimes had trouble competing in strikeouts. So that's why I rank him where I do. He only went for $18 in this auction. I think it was the best value at starting pitcher period. So, you know, certainly, um, Certainly, it's not uncommon to overlook Granky, but it's, I, I don't think I am by putting him where I do. You also, you didn't mention a key factor that may not be a factor for you, but certainly is a factor in how he's viewed uh, by the industry and by fantasy players. And that's just, he's old. Yeah. And, you know, the, people have been waiting for Zach Granky to fall off for a long time. And 2016 was when it looked like it was happening. And there were a lot of, I told you so's. 
And then he's bounced back with a 3-2-1 ERA or lower in three straight years. The peripherals never quite match with what he does, but he's always really good. And at some point, like, I don't know, he's going to fall off eventually. It hasn't happened yet, you know? Yeah. I think yeah. the, the biggest difference between him and Morton and Verlander and Scherzer are the strikeouts. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's enough to rank him, you know, not even significantly, but six, five, six spots behind Morton. I mean, Morton's going to give you over 10 Ks per nine. Last year, Granke was 8.07. Great control. He's going to give you a really good whip, really good ERA, should win games. But, I mean, if you do draft Granke, you have to make sure that you have at least one high upside strikeout pitcher maybe even two uh, just because he's not going to help you much in that category this next question is from kidder 31 what do you guys think about this strategy in head-to-head categories leagues going all pitchers rounds one to six locking up the pitching categories then in rounds seven through 15 going for batters with high average and high stolen bases and win seven to three or six to four every week uh if you could lock up (laughs) pitching by drafting nothing but pitchers in the first six rounds, it would be a great strategy. Uh The problem is, given the way pitching usually works, even high-end pitching, you're probably going to get three really good pitchers out of that and maybe one good one, and then probably two guys who give you nothing, either because of injuries or underperformance. And that's just the volatile, combustible nature of guys who throw baseballs at 95 miles per hour. Plus, round seven through fifteen, like high average, high stolen base guys. What? Who? Who, who <laughs> is what there I, at that stage yeah. of the draft? Like those are the guys who go early, right? Uh, the high batting average, high steals guys who, uh, you know, some of them contribute some amount of power too. But among the power hitters, the ones getting pushed up are the ones who contribute in batting average and or steals. Yeah, it would be a lot of I'm trying to think. Round seven through fifteen, it's. Like Tommy gonna, Edmund, I guess, but yeah, yeah like you're talking about Tommy, anything. I was talking about Tommy like Edmund, Tommy like, Pham. Even, like Malik Smith doesn't really, he's not a guarantee to help you in batting sure. average. He, he certainly really did last you year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can find one or the other. Like I think you can grab the Jeff McNeils, the Michael Brantleys, but those guys are not going to give you steals. They'll give you good batting average, but then yeah. trying to find those steals. Yeah, I mean, Ma- Malik Smith, you mentioned the name, but. You could look at like a guy like Adam Eaton or Oscar Mercado, who should be helpful in both, although you know probably won't be elite and stuff. Like, it's not, just not not such a standout in batting average that you're going to win the category. Yeah, it's a really team. it's a really hard needle to thread. I think you'd have a better chance going all hitter, no pitcher, and dominating the hitting categories than I think you would starting pitcher, especially because just. Pitching is less predictable on a start-by-start, week-by-week, month-by-month, year-by-year basis. Yeah, and that's the Marmol strategy if you want to do it in a head-to-head categories league where you basically just draft hitters for the first nine or ten rounds, and then from rounds 11 on, you just draft closers that have decent job security and relievers that will give you elite ratios. So that's something that you can look into, but it comes down to what your, uh, your your innings pitched minimum is on a weekly basis if you do have one. So just keep that in mind. We're going to wrap it up there here for today. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.